From New York, this is Democracy Now! I'm really surprised at what happened to me. I had felt that I was immune because I was a, an alumni of Indiana University, but I see the university administration is more sensitive and responsive to higher administrative pressure from the government than they are to the welfare of their own community. Canceled. Today we talked to two Palestinian-American artists. Samia Halabi's life retrospective, three years in the making, was canceled by her alma mater, Indiana University, over her opposition to Israel's assault on Gaza. And we'll speak to Emily Jassir, who was scheduled to give a talk in Berlin, Germany. We'll also talk to German-American Jewish Holocaust survivor Marion Ingram, who has stood outside the White House for months calling for a Gaza ceasefire. Her talks in her native Hamburg, Germany, were canceled. Apparently, my criticism of Israel's actions in Gaza uh, has caused the, the politician to be uh, very upset. And it turns out that uh, criticism of Israel is uh, unacceptable to Germans. And we'll hear from the Russian-Jewish-American writer, Masha Gessen. A major award ceremony for her was canceled in Germany. Today, art and resistance. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Pakistan's Air Force has launched retaliatory airstrikes on Iran as tension continues to escalate across the region. Nine people were reportedly killed in Iran, including three women and four children. Pakistan said these strikes targeted separatist militants based near the Iran-Pakistan border. The attack came a day after Iran bombed members of the Sunni militant group Jaish al-Adl in the Pakistani province of Balochistan. On Wednesday, Iran's foreign minister, Hossein Amir Abdullahian, acknowledged Iran had carried out recent bombings in both Pakistan and Iraq. Our focus is on the Iranian terrorists on Pakistani soil. Before this conversation, I discussed with my colleague, the foreign minister of Pakistan, that we respect the integrity of Pakistan, we respect the integrity of Iraq, but we will not allow them to play with the security of our country. The U.S. military has attacked Yemen for the fourth time in a week, launching ship and submarine missile strikes on Houthi-controlled areas Wednesday. The attack came a day after the Biden administration redesignated the Houthis, who rule much of Yemen, as a global terrorist group. The Houthis have been disrupting global shipping routes by carrying out attacks in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden in an attempt to pressure Israel to halt its bombardment of Gaza. Meanwhile, U.S. forces are continuing to search for two U.S. Navy SEALs who were lost at sea off the coast of Somalia last week after a group of Navy SEALs stopped a ship allegedly containing Iranian-made missile parts. In Gaza, at least 16 Palestinians, including many children, have been killed in an Israeli airstrike on a home in Rafah, which has been designated by Israel as a so-called safe zone. 
The families killed had reportedly come to Rafah for safety after being displaced three times over the past 100 days. One relative told Al Jazeera, quote, they fled their homes in Gaza City to the Baraj refugee camp to Khan Yunus before coming to Rafah because they thought it was safer. The grandmother of the children killed in the Israeli attack spoke outside the bombed-out house. I was in the school when the strike happened at dawn, and I came running. I found the rubble. I went to the hospital and found all my grandchildren have been martyred. All of them are young children. The biggest one is in second grade, and the rest are even younger. What have they done wrong? Meanwhile, in Gaza City, rescuers raced to a home where Palestinian children were buried under rubble after an Israeli attack. In this house, there's children. We're trying to get them out since the morning. With every attempt, airstrikes and rockets fall on us. Our neighbors from the Ahmad Bouli family came to help us. The first two who went in were martyred. What sin did those children commit to die like that? The number of those who were inside the house is more than 25 people. They were all martyred. The whole house collapsed on them completely, as you can see. More than one missile hit this area. This area was shelled by many missiles at the same time. In other news from Gaza, Israel's blown-up Isra University south of Gaza City. According to a post on the school's Facebook page, Israeli troops had seized the campus months ago, turned it into a military base where Israel interrogated detained Palestinians. There are reports Israel's killed another journalist in Gaza. Palestinian news outlets report Wael Fanuna, the manager of Al-Quds Today TV, was killed today in an Israeli bombing in Gaza City. Over 110 journalists have been killed since Israel began its assault on Gaza following the October 7th Hamas attack on Israel. On Wednesday, U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres called again for a ceasefire in Gaza. I repeat my call for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza and the process that leads to sustained peace for Israelis and Palestinians based on a two-state solution. That is the only way to stem the suffering and prevent a spillover that could send the entire region up in flames. In the occupied West Bank, Israeli forces have killed at least 10 Palestinians in a series of military raids. Israel launched airstrikes on the Tulkarim refugee camp and the Balata refugee camp as ground troops conducted extensive raids. The Palestinian Red Crescent accused Israeli troops of blocking ambulances from reaching the Tulkarim refugee camp, which has been under siege for over 30 hours. In Britain, the House of Commons has approved legislation to send some asylum seekers to Rwanda, even if they have no ties to the African country. The bill declares Rwanda is a safe country for asylum seekers, despite a recent U.K. Supreme Court ruling saying the opposite. The bill is expected to face opposition in the House of Lords, where one member has described the legislation as a, quote, step towards totalitarianism. In Washington, D.C., President Biden met with congressional leaders at the White House Wednesday in a bid to break through deadlock negotiations on Biden's request for $100 billion in supplemental military funding for Israel, Ukraine and Taiwan. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said he was optimistic about a possible deal following the meeting, while House Speaker Mike Johnson doubled down on House Republican demands to further crack down on immigration, saying the proposed Senate deal is, quote, dead in the House.
In related news, Texas has defied a Biden administration's cease and desist order, refusing to dismantle its border barrier near the city of Eagle Pass on the Rio Grande. Texas troopers took over the two-and-a-half-mile stretch last week, installing fencing, gates and razor wire. On Friday, a mother and her two children, aged 8 and 10, drowned in the Rio Grande after Border Patrol agents were denied access to the area by Texas officials acting under orders from Republican Governor Greg Abbott. In Ecuador, a prosecutor who was investigating a recent attack on a TV station has been assassinated. Cesar Suarez was killed in the city of Guayaquil on Wednesday. This comes less than two weeks after Ecuador's president, Daniel Noboa, declared a state of emergency due to a surge in violence by drug cartels. In recent days, the slain prosecutor, Cesar Suarez, had interviewed 13 gunmen who stormed a live TV set earlier this month and took the staff hostage on air. The U.S. State Department has barred former Guatemalan President Alejandro Giamate from entering the United States over his involvement in, quote, significant corruption. The decision was announced just days after Giamate left office. Early on Monday, Guatemala's new president, Bernardo Arevalo, was sworn in despite efforts by Guatemala's attorney general, conservative lawmakers and the elite ruling class who spent months trying to prevent his presidency. Arevalo was elected in August after running on an anti-corruption platform. In the United States, the judge in E. Jean Carroll's defamation trial threatened to expel former President Donald Trump from the courtroom Wednesday for repeatedly disrupting the proceedings. Trump could be heard loudly telling his attorney that the trial was a witch hunt and a con job. Trump's disruptions came as the writer E. Jean Carroll took the stand and accused Trump of shattering her reputation. A trial last year found Trump had sexually abused E. Jean Carroll in the 1990s and then defamed her. At this new trial, a different jury is determining if Trump owes her more money for other acts of defamation. Trump's trial is occurring just ahead of New Hampshire's Republican primary Tuesday, the first primary in the nation. On Wednesday, ABC canceled its New Hampshire Republican debate after former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley refused to participate if Trump did not take part as well. Trump has so far declined to debate any of his Republican challengers. Haley's facing criticism this week after claiming the United States was never a racist country. She made the comment during an interview on Fox News. Are you a racist party? Are you involved in a racist party? No. We're, we're not a racist country, Brian. We've never been a racist country. Haley's comment comes just weeks after she failed to mention slavery as one of the causes of the U.S. Civil War. In other campaign news, a judge in Maine has suspended a decision by the state's secretary of state to remove Donald Trump from the primary ballot for violating the insurrectionist clause of the 14th Amendment. The judge said the U.S. Supreme Court should weigh in on Trump's eligibility first. The high court is hearing oral arguments February 8th. 
The conservative-led Supreme Court Wednesday heard arguments in a case that threatens to severely restrict the regulatory authority of federal agencies on issues ranging from environmental protection to guns to health care. The case centers around the Chevron deference, a precedent established in 1984 which requires courts to defer to an agency's interpretation of laws. Fishing companies are challenging the doctrine, long maligned by corporations and the right. The legal effort is backed by far-right interest groups, including the network of billionaire Charles Koch. Liberal Justice Elena Kagan defended the practice, saying, quote, and it's best to defer to people who do know, who have had long experience on the ground, who have seen a thousand of these kinds of situations, Kagan said, adding, and, you know, judges should know what they don't know, unquote, a ruling by the Supreme Court's expected in the summer. In a major antitrust ruling, a federal judge in Boston's blocked the merger of JetBlue and Spirit Airlines, saying the merger would hurt consumers. In his ruling, Judge William Young wrote, quote, The airline industry is an oligopoly that has become more concentrated due to a series of mergers, unquote. Last year, the Department of Justice in six states sued to stop the merger. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has proposed a rule that could drastically lower overdraft charges at the nation's largest banks. If approved, many bank customers could see their overdraft fees drop from about $35 to as little as $3. The agency estimates the new rule could save households up to $3.5 billion annually. Banking trade groups have decried the proposed rule changes. A new study finds Greenland's ice cap is losing an average of 30 million tons of ice every hour due to the effects of the climate crisis. Researchers with NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory published their findings in the journal Nature, which show the ice loss is 20 percent greater than previously thought. Scientists fear the additional fresh water pouring into the North Atlantic could lead to a collapse of ocean currents, which would trigger devastating disruptions to global weather patterns, ecosystems and food security. And Azerbaijan, the host country of this year's U.N. climate summit in December, has come under fire after it unveiled its organizing committee for COP29, made up of 28 men and no women. The group She Changes Climate blasted the regressive decision, they said, saying, quote, climate change affects the whole world, not half of it, unquote. The organizing committee does, however, include oil and gas executives. Early this month, Azerbaijan's environmental minister, Mukhtar Babayev, was named as COP29's president. He previously spent 26 years at the state oil company of the Azerbaijan Republic, or SOCAR. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. When we come back, canceled. We speak with two Palestinian-American artists and a German-American-Jewish Holocaust survivor who have all been canceled over their support for Palestine and opposition to Israel's assault on Gaza. Stay with us.
Sabeb, or Patient, choir version by Dana Harani. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. And I'm Narmeen Sheikh. Welcome to our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world. Over the past three months, artists, writers, and other cultural workers in the United States and Europe have faced a backlash after expressing solidarity for Palestine as Israel has continued its relentless assault on Gaza. Talks and performances have been cancelled, artworks deinstalled, exhibits removed, and livelihoods threatened. Today we speak with two Palestinian-American artists. One was cancelled by her own alma mater, Indiana University. The other was cancelled in Berlin. And we'll speak with a German-American Jewish Holocaust survivor who stood outside the White House for months calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. She was scheduled to speak at a number of schools in her native Hamburg, but was told her appearances were cancelled. We begin with Samia Halabi, a renowned Palestinian visual artist, activist, educator and scholar. Samia Halabi's first U.S. retrospective, which had taken three years to organize, was abruptly canceled by Indiana University's Ashkenazi Museum of Art over her criticism of Israel's bombardment of Gaza, which she's described as a genocide. Before we speak with Samia about what happened, let's turn to a short documentary about her life and work by Palestinian-Jordanian filmmaker Munir Atala. This is Samia talking about moving with her family to the United States as a teenager from Palestine. In 1951, my father and mother had come to the decision that it was safer to bring their family up in the U.S., I did not want to come. I was 14 and was to high school. I couldn't decide between the sciences. It was my mother who finally said, you always loved art, why don't you study art? I gained tenure at Indiana University and decided that really I wanted to be in New York, but it's hard to just pick up and have no money and come to New York, a city I don't know anybody or anything in. I moved in 76. I continued trying to get a gallery for years. It was total rejection. In this world, people don't see, if you're Palestinian, don't see what you make. They see you. And they don't like us Palestinians. This is another clip of Samia talking about the process of creating her art and how abstraction can result from a new way of seeing. I work on two, three, sometimes four or five paintings at the same time. When I enter to get going, then the paintings begin to permeate my consciousness. The paintings do not arise out of feeling. They arise out of thinking. Uh, and, and I'm very scientific in the way I think and plan. But when I do them, it's in, I trust my intuitions. Fulfilling every whim that comes along. Balancing back and forth between what I intuit is right and what I want to do. And which one wins is hard to tell. When a thing, painting is going badly, I'm feeling badly. 
but not because my feeling is in the painting. I'm reacting to frustration. But when it's going well, I'm very happy because I've captured something I've wanted to capture. As I was saying about Palestine, something remains that I, I almost feel it with my hands. I can make it, I put it in a painting, uh, but it's not a photographic image. It's what remains visually in memory. It's something palpable and real. What your iPhone or cell phone is telling you when you take a picture is only a teeny slice of what is in front of it when you take the picture. It's an image of a fragment of time of reality. But a new abstraction can result from a new way of seeing. An excerpt of Samia Halabi, a video portrait a short documentary about the Palestinian-American artist's life and work. Samia Halabi's paintings are in the permanent collections of the Guggenheim Museum in New York, the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., and the Art Institute of Chicago. And Samia joins us today in New York. We welcome you to Democracy Now! We've told a bit of the story, but you are um, one of the most prestigious Palestinian-American artists in these permanent art collections around the country. You were doing this life retrospective at your alma mater, Indiana University, worked on it for three years, Samia. Can you tell us what happened right before it was to open? Thank you, Amy. I'm really pleased to be with you and to uh, tell my story and tell the story of what happened, which is very important also to the community in Bloomington and Indiana. Uh, just immediately before, after a lot of work preparing, uh, first I heard a little rumble that someone was paying attention to the fact that I'm Palestinian. Uh, other than that, I had expected being an alumna and a one-time professor who had been awarded tenure uh, to be uh, to be somewhat immune because I knew the atmosphere in the country. Uh, and so the sudden, sudden uh, cancellation came as a surprise. It was amazing to know that they would go ahead and act in this way when a catalog that's one inch thick and hardcover had been printed and delivered uh, uh, plans for the opening were being made. The artwork was picked up by uh, by the shippers. Uh, uh, everything was done in so beautifully in excellent museum fashion that suddenly, after the few days after the uh, uh, pickup of the paintings, I hear uh, a, a, a very brief notice, a, a two sentence letter saying the show is cancelled and the art will be returned to me. I wrote two letters uh, suggesting in very friendly terms that they uh, reverse this decision, but I have not heard a word back from them. And, you know, Amy, this was a, a twin uh, retrospective uh, committed to my relationship to, to the Midwest. Uh, the Midwest had been a place where I had felt was my second home. I really... Uh, enjoyed my education there. Uh, I started as I arrived in the U.S. at age 14. I'm 87 now. And I remember the University of Cincinnati with a great deal of affection for the great education we received there. I remember it being an atmosphere that was very uh, open and radical. 
my teachers were all inspired by the resistant painters of the time, the uh, like Ben Shan. Uh, they were ad- in admiration of the Industrial Union movement. The uh, uh, the Great Depression was still in people's memory, and the professors were all very enlightened and advanced and. Uh, talked a lot about academic freedom. My feeling is I wished I could bring that batch of attitudes on those professors to uh, modern, uh, to contemporary American education. Uh, Maybe I'm going on too long, Amy, but my my feeling uh, towards what happened to me is that the administration has lost sight of their responsibility to the community, to the students who are there. Uh, they're trying to stop students from moving forward with thinking, with cre- their creative process politically. Uh, and that's, uh, they're being more responsible to uh, pronouncements from the government and from threats, perhaps, from parts of the government, but uh, not at all responsible. Uh, a division is taking place in, in their position of, being uh, having administrative power, but no responsibility to the real community. I, I feel the students, the repression of the students right now in the country who are the most advanced, uh, the new partnership between the young Palestinians and all they're doing and the uh, young Jews who and all that they are doing, they're so disciplined and determined and clear thinking. I'm, I'm really in admiration for them, and I think this act is, uh, of uh, suspension, of cancellation, is as much against them as it is against me and the curator of the show. We mustn't forget about the curator, a uh, 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 curator beginning their career who, to whom this was a very important show, uh, Elliot Reichert, who uh, was magnificent in his, uh, as was all the staff at the museum, magnificent in their effort. So I'm, so, I'm, I'm very... Uh, uh, Sami Halabi, we'd like to uh, get your response to uh, the formal explanation that Indiana University, your alma mater, where you received your master's degree, uh, the formal response that the university gave uh, to why your show was canceled. The university provost Rahul Sh- uh, Srivastav spoke at a faculty council meeting and addressed the backlash over the decision to cancel uh, your show. He called your exhibit a, quote, potential lightning rod that could incite protests and said the three months for it to be on view would require long-term security, adding, quote, I have to make a decision on keeping a project, a program going when there is a risk of violence or a risk of other incidents. I would err on the side of caution. So, uh, Samia Halabi, your response to that? Well, uh, uh, my response to that is, first of all, they never gave me a reason and they never responded. Uh, and the uh, uh, never even talked to me. Um, so uh, I I got the impression that they didn't like my, from a very brief phone call with the director of the museum, that one way or the other, my general attitude and support of Palestine and criticism of Israel and U.S. Com- uh, partnership, U.S.-Israel attacking uh, Palestine and, and especially the massacre the unbelievable massacre in Gaza, both destruction of people and of culture, uh, that, that my anger with that and my support of the Palestinians was the cause. 
I think this idea that they're so terrorized or frightened by the by uh, me being a lightning rod and the show bringing uh, I think the students to their majority were for the show they would have been delighted to these, see the show I think this idea of of uh, uh, a lightning rod for trouble is their imagination their invention it's just a propaganda uh, uh, you know um Invention. Uh, I don't see that. You know, museums guard their work always, guard what is there, and and they could have put a second guard on the show if that's they're so frightened. But canceling it, uh, considering all of the uh, grants they received, uh, all the expenses they went through, uh, it's just not. uh, It's just not. uh, reflective of this kind of fear. Museums all over are, are concerned about art. Um, so yes, I, that's my reaction to that. You know, I would like to say some more about what's happening in Gaza uh, because it connects to art. Uh, first of all, I do want to say that this is much larger than I am. There's suppression of students throughout the, the U.S. There's suppression of faculty uh, there's one faculty member at Indiana University who's been censured for censured uh, for a, a very minor uh, th- thing as an excuse for his uh, true uh, open-mindedness and and support of young students. Um, to I me, the to, young students. I wanted are to go s- to that point, um, uh, Samia. Um, I'm looking at a piece in the Nation magazine on December 15th. Indiana University did um, suspended Professor Abdelkader Sino, a tenured faculty member who's taught at IU for almost two decades and who, until his suspension, was the faculty advisor of the PSC. The supposed reason for the suspension, alleged mistakes in the filing of a room (laughs) reservation form— to support a PSC event, a scheduled public lecture by Miko Pellet, an Israeli-American IDF veteran and peace activist. I mean, this is amazing. You know, Miko Pellet is the son of General Pellet, who, well-known in Israel, fought in 1948 and in the Six-Day War. Uh, Miko Pellet was going to speak. And um, as so, the alleged mistakes led the administration to demand cancellation of the event two days before it was scheduled. They went forward anyway. It proceeded without a hitch until the administration claimed it was an unauthorized event and the professor suspended. Samia Halabi. You know, my feeling is that they indict themselves with their own words. When they suspend someone and they say the reason is uh, he miss, he did something, uh, made a minor mistake in filling a form requesting space for the event, it is ridiculous. Uh, you don't suspend a professor for that kind of thing. And then you make, you, you, you create a whole range of excuses uh, uh, to, to, to defend the to defend the real reason and it's similar to my case you know in his case they're accusing him of misfilling a form in my case they're saying they need uh, they're worried that this uh, my show is a lightning rod to to uh, uh, hostile activity against the show or uh, this discord in uh, among the students so it doesn't make sense to me that they suspend someone who is so highly respected by the students and beloved of the students, uh, 
is unforgivable. Again, it's an indication that there is a huge gap growing between administrative layers and the government and the students, professors, workers, staff, and general population in this country. You see it very clearly. You see huge demonstrations, not only in the U.S., but all over the world. And disregard, this whole disregard of governments to what the people are asking for is, is in min- miniature form taking place at Indiana University. And it is this very thing I'm talking about, this division in the minds of uh, uh, administrators that they no longer owe anything to the students and to the faculty or to an open atmosphere of learning and discourse uh, as though disagreement, uh, differences of opinion is a negative thing. It is a kind of con- attempted mind control. You know, you can only think that way and then you're okay and you can be a student. But if you want to discourse and think, see other points of view, you're not allowed. So it's it's very backward, very backward. Samia Halabi, we want to bring in another Palestinian-American artist into this discussion, the artist and filmmaker Emily Jassir. She was scheduled to speak at an event in Berlin, Germany, in October, but her appearance was canceled. She's the recipient of prestigious awards, including a Golden Lion at the Venice Biennale, a Prince Klaus Award from the Prince Klaus Fund in The Hague, the Hugo Boss Prize at the Guggenheim Museum. And most recently, she won an American Academy of Arts and Letters Prize and received an honorary doctorate from the National College of Art and Design in Dublin, Ireland. She's the founding director of Dar Yusuf Nasri Jasir for Art and Research in Bethlehem, where she was born. Welcome to Democracy Now!, Emily. It's very good to have you with us. Can you talk about what's happened to you, actually not here in the United States, but in Berlin, Germany? Thank you, Amy, for having me on your show. It's really a pleasure to be here. Um, I also just would like to begin by by expressing my solidarity for Samia um, and the loss of her show, but also for the curator, Elliot, because he was in Bethlehem last summer and spoke to me at length about this exhibition, so I was quite excited about it. Um, I was slated to speak in Berlin as part of a workshop at Potsdam University. Um, And when they canceled the talk, they wrote to me and said um, they were going to postpone it to a more peaceful time or to a more peaceful point in time which now listening to Samia speaking about the idea of being a lightning rod, this really resonated with me. Um, and this is one of the methodologies that is being used to actually um, stop us from being able to speak publicly and share our words and share our work. There, 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 this is another way of doing it is by saying, oh, we'll just do this in another peaceful time. But this is the time This is the time when we should be speaking and having discourse across the board around the world. So I don't buy that. That was the real reason. Um, Again, we have to also take the curator into consideration and try to imagine 
what kind of pressure, particularly being in Germany, um, they must have been under. Um, the situation in Germany, as we all know, is one of the most extreme cases of silencing Palestinians. Um, but it's part of a larger war effort targeting Palestinian voices and intellectuals using various methodologies, including harassment, baseless smear campaigns, canceling shows, uh, canceling talks. So it, it's, it's, it's very much part of a coordinated movement. So, Emily Jassir, could you uh, uh, talk about some of the, there have been numerous incid uh, incidents in uh, Germany where uh, people have been canceled for one reason or another having to do uh, with uh, Gaza. If you could just go through some of those people, uh, in particular the uh, Palestinian uh, artists and writers. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the first incidents was uh, Adania Shibli, who was slated to receive uh, an award in Germany that was within the first week of October, if I remember correctly. Um, the list is quite extensive. My sister's film, Anne-Marie Jasser, was canceled within weeks also. I think her film was canceled. It's a film about um, a wedding, and it was deemed too controversial to show on German television. Um, Candace Brights, as we all know, is another person... Uh, there's so many. There's, the list is endless. Well, we want to go now to a, a, a writer, a highly acclaimed writer uh, and author, uh, the award-winning uh, Marsha Gessen, who was also uh, uh, cancelled, or her award, she was to receive the Hannah Arendt Award uh, in Bremen. Uh, we spoke to her um, in December, shortly after the publication of their New Yorker piece headlined In the Shadow of the Holocaust, How the Politics of Memory in Europe obscures what we see in Israel and Gaza today. In the essay, Gessen wrote, quote, For the last 17 years, Gaza has been a hyper-densely populated, impoverished, walled-in compound where only a small fraction of the population had the right to leave for even a short amount of time. In other words, a ghetto. Not like the Jewish ghetto in Venice or an inner-city ghetto in America, but like a Jewish ghetto in an Eastern European country occupied by Nazi Germany, they wrote. Gessen went on to explain why the term ghetto is not commonly used to describe Gaza. Gessen said, quote, presumably the more fitting term ghetto would have drawn fire for comparing the predicament of besieged Gazans to that of ghettoized Jews. It also would have given us the language to describe what is happening in Gaza now. The ghetto is being liquidated, uh, Gessen wrote. Uh, they had been scheduled to receive the prestigious Hannah Arendt Prize in Germany, but the ceremony had to be postponed after one of the award sponsors, the left-leaning Heinrich Boll Foundation, withdrew its support. Gessen discussed the New Yorker piece and the controversy that followed on Democracy Now! on the very day they'd been originally scheduled to receive the award in Bremen. A large part of the article is devoted to, in fact, memory politics in Germany and the vast anti-anti-Semitism machine, which largely targets people who are critical of Israel and, in fact, are often Jewish. This happens to be a description that fits me as well. I am Jewish. I come from a family that includes Holocaust survivors. 
I grew up in the Soviet Union, very much in the shadow of the Holocaust. Um, that's where the phrase in the headline came from, is, is, is from that passage in, in, in the article itself. Uh, and I am critical of, of Israel. Now, the part that really offended the Henry Bill Foundation uh, and the city of Bremen, and I would imagine some German public, is the part that you read out loud, which is where I make the comparison between the, the besieged Gaza, so Gaza before October 7th, and a Jewish ghetto in Nazi-occupied Europe. Um, I made that comparison intentionally. It was not a, um, what they call here, a provocation. Uh, it was very much the point of the piece, because um, I think that the way that memory politics function now in Europe and in the United States, but particularly in Germany, is that their cornerstone is that you can't compare the Holocaust to anything. It is a singular event that stands outside of history. My argument is that in order to learn from history, we have to compare. Like, that actually has to be a constant exercise. We are not better people or smarter people or more educated people than the people who lived 90 years ago. The only thing that makes us different from those people is that in their imagination, the Holocaust didn't yet exist, and in ours it does. We know that it's possible. And the way to prevent it is to be vigilant in the way that Hannah Arendt, in fact, and other Jewish thinkers who survived the Holocaust were vigilant and were, uh, there was an entire conversation, especially in the first two decades after World War II, in which they really talked about how to recognize the signs of sliding into the darkness. Um, and I think that we need to, oh, and one other thing that I, that I want to say is that our entire framework of international humanitarian law is essentially based, uh, it, it all comes out of the Holocaust, uh, as does the concept of genocide. And I argue that the, the, that framework is based on the assumption that you're always looking at war, at conflict, at violence, through the prism of the Holocaust. You always have to be asking the question of whether crimes against humanity, the definitions of which came out of the Holocaust, are occurring. And Israel has waged an incredibly successful campaign at setting its, uh, not only setting the Holocaust outside of history, but setting itself aside from the optics of international humanitarian law. Uh, in part by weaponizing the politics, uh, the politics of memory, the politics of the Holocaust. That's Masha Gessen. Uh, Masha Gessen was speaking to us from Bremen, Germany. The award ceremony went from an auditorium of hundreds. Um, they ultimately got the award in someone's backyard. Meanwhile, more than 500 global artists, filmmakers and writers and culture workers have announced a push against Germany's stance on Israel's war in Gaza, calling on artists to step back from collaborating with German state-funded associations. The campaign's backed by the French author, Nobel Prize for Literature winner Annie Arnaud, and the Palestinian poet and activist Mohamed El-Kurd. It alleges Germany has adopted, quote, McCarthyist policies that suppress freedom of expression 
expressions, specifically expressions of solidarity with Palestine, unquote. We're speaking with Emily Jassir, whose speech was just canceled in Berlin, Germany. And as we wrap up with you, Emily, I wanted if to know if you could comment on what's happening in your birthplace, in Bethlehem. Uh, the last time we went to Bethlehem, we were interviewing two pastors there, one of them who set up uh, Christ in the rubble, um, uh, a crutch scene um, that showed um, uh, the baby Jesus in rubble signifying uh, Gaza. If you can talk about that and the importance of your art as you continue. Yeah, I, I will talk about that. But just to relate back to what everyone else was talking about and how you started, um, I think it's really important to to consider the way this attempt at creating a culture of fear amongst the arts community globally and internationally um, is happening um, through these baseless smear campaigns and other and and defamation, um, threatening people's jobs. And I, and I mentioned this just because, um, you know, one of the things that happened to me was that, um, there was a letter writing campaign in which every university I've ever taught at internationally, um, anyone that's ever given me award received literally a five page PDF, um, claiming that I was an ISIS terrorist that supports the rape of women and the killing of babies. People who signed that art forum letter that, and many, many, many of whom were Jewish and Israeli allies that I have worked with for 25 years also received that, that letter. Um, in my case, because people know me, um, they've worked with me for 25 years, the, the, the letters come off as just absolutely absurd and ridiculous. But um, if that is happening to me, it begs the question of what is happening to younger artists, people who don't, people in museums don't know receiving letters like that. And it's very targeted and very systematic. And it's, it's something to consider also in relationship with the, 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 the targeted destruction of culture in Gaza, um, art centers being bombed. Why would an art center be bombed? Because part of genocide is precisely silencing artists and silencing a culture's cultural production. Um, and I feel that that was very important to say that in Bethlehem, the situation is quite difficult. Nothing compared to Gaza, of course, but um, we are witnessing incursions every night. Um, it's been you know, Bethlehem is a, is a town that very, very much relies on visitors and tourists for its economy. So that economically, it, it, it's been a disaster. Um, as an art center, our art center in Bethlehem um, promotes dance and music and art practices and making and residencies of local artists and international artists. We're doing our very best to both deal with the situation at hand, but also provide um, 
a kind of way of working with the children now who live in our neighborhood who are trying to handle the situation, um, both on the ground in Bethlehem, but also witnessing what's happening to Gaza. Emily Jasir, we want to thank you for being with us. Acclaimed artist and filmmaker, born in Bethlehem, uh, goes back and forth between Bethlehem and New York, was scheduled to speak in Berlin, Germany. Her talk canceled. And Samia Halabi, renowned Palestinian visual artist, activist, educator and scholar, whose first U.S. retrospective was abruptly canceled by Indiana University's Eskenazi Museum of Art over her support for Palestinians and criticism of Israel's bombardment of Gaza. When we come back, we'll be joined by a German-American Jewish Holocaust survivor. Samia is 87. Marion Ingram is 88. She's been standing outside the White House for months, calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, her talks in her native Hamburg, which she fled from in the Holocaust, have been canceled. Stay with us. We are free, I mean Asami. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermeen Sheikh. We turn now to Marion Ingram. She's an 88-year-old German-American Holocaust survivor who's been protesting for months outside the White House calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. She was scheduled to speak this month at eight different schools in her native Hamburg, Germany. She was planning to address students receiving awards, recognizing their commitment to social justice activism. Then, in December, she was told by an event organizer that her appearances were canceled. The trip was eventually postponed until May. Marion Ingram is author of The Hands of War, a tale of endurance and hope from a survivor of the Holocaust, and also the book The Hands of Peace, a Holocaust survivor's fight for civil rights in the American South. She's joining us from Washington, D.C. Uh, Marion, I'm sorry you had to uh, leave the studio because there was an alarm in the building and everyone had to evacuate. Uh, but you're back now. And you have heard the previous guests, two Palestinian-American esteemed artists, uh, talking about having been canceled, like you, uh, Samia Halabi by Indiana University, and Emily Jassir was about to give a talk in Berlin. Talk about the reason you were given um, for going back to Hamburg, Germany, where you've gone a number of times to speak to young people, but the reason why your talks were canceled this month. 
Oh, good morning, Amy. Uh, yes, a bit of excitement. I so I missed. I heard Samia's uh, uh, explanation of her cancellation. I'm really sorry uh, about that, and missed the other because we were evacuated. I uh, the reasons for my cancellation have been extremely vague, uh, given. Uh, a climate in, in Germany right now of uh, a lot of uh, anti-Semitic uh, events, apparently. And the only concrete uh, explanation I got uh, from someone was that I, as a Holocaust survivor, would be used by the RFD, which is the alternative for Deutschland, the alternative for Germany, uh, which is a neo-Nazi uh, and uh, primarily anti-Semitic group. But they, uh, I was told that they would use uh, my picture and uh, my protest sign uh, uh, in a propaganda uh, uh, I, I can't even figure out what kind of propaganda that would be used for, since they are uh, basically Nazis uh, and would be uh, uh, a destruction. And the sign you're talking about is standing outside the White House. Survivor says, peace, not war. Yes, yes. Uh, but on the uh, on the flip side, as uh, it says, uh, stop genocide in Gaza. And that has upset uh, the powers that be, politicians who decide uh, what can be said and what cannot be said. I have been speaking to students for years, uh, and uh, I was also told by several teachers that right now my presence uh, talking to students is of the utmost importance because uh, uh, German, uh, the schools in Hamburg are so uh, diverse and there are many students who <clears throat> come from countries where there is war, oppression, poverty. And uh, and students are uh, in in really uh, terrible positions of trying to manage what is going on, conflict with each other. And uh, I was told that my presence is so important because I have a rapport with students, and they were looking forward to expressing their thoughts because they know that in talking to me and with me that they can say everything that is on their minds without uh, being criticized or ostracized. I find it uh, extremely—I understand Germany's sensitivity because of their gruesome history, but Germany has also— uh, been the only country, maybe other than Rwanda, uh, that has acknowledged its, uh, ho its, its horrific history, and it has taught this history as, as a never-again uh, thing. We, we must face our history so we can learn from it. So it is surprising to me that uh, uh, Germany has chosen 
to silence uh, me. But I think the worst part of it is that they're uh, silencing uh, young people who are experiencing, uh, especially in Germany, they are close to the war in Ukraine. They are uh, troubled by uh, what is going on by uh, the war in the Mideast and the horrific slaughter of of innocent people. Uh, it, it should be an absolute uh, standstill of all governments when you're told that 10, over 10,000 children are being murdered. Uh, there is no excuse for that. And then to uh, turn around... Uh, America and Germany's uh, support of Israel's politics is extremely uh, disturbing and, to me, frightening, because any time any government decides to silence uh, the voices of uh, people who oppose um, government policies, whatever they may be. This reminds me so much of my childhood. My childhood was spent uh, in the first 10 years much the same way as the children of Gaza. Uh, I know exactly what they're going through. I know exactly what they're thinking. And this apparently has upset uh the Ministry of Culture, because I have uh, compared uh, the We have less than a minute to go, Marion. Uh, the, the silencing of the last survivor of, the, of all three major events in, uh, in Hamburg uh, the firestorm, the birth uh, bombing in the European war, and the Holocaust, where I lost uh, almost all of my family. And uh, the, the silencing of voices, uh, like all of our voices, uh, when they are most needed, is... Uh, in, in, is indicative of of something more frightening because I believe when governments decide to silence voices uh, in opposition to to the, the stance that they are taking, uh, then we have to really question very deeply. Uh, why are they doing it? And for Marianne what Ingram, reason? We're going to have to leave it there, but we thank you so much for being with us. 88-year-old Jewish-German Holocaust survivor has been protesting, calling for Biden to uh, support a Gaza ceasefire.